All right, if you're a kid, heading off with Seth and Sharla. And I think it's funny, I, I, how long have I known you now? When did you get here? A little over a year ago? or uh, A year and a half? Man, time flies, we're having fun. But I remember Seth telling me right away, he was graduating, or he's in, he was in seminary, getting his Master of Divinity at Liberty, and he's like, oh yeah, I don't do kids, man. I, I don't like kids. I'm just sitting here thinking, all right, we'll see. <laughs> and uh, now, it's like God is doing a marvelous work through them, and uh, so he has kids today. It's not as much out of your comfort zone as it used to be, right? It's not, no. I, but it's, I even enjoy it. You even enjoy it. That's awesome. So, so know that if you have kids, that he's actually enjoying it. All right? So, I love you, bro. Go get them. Can I do one thing real quick? Oh, yeah. Go ahead. So Pastor Eddie told me, um, you know, what we do with kids, the kids' ministry, in case anybody here wants to volunteer, um, is we take the previous week's sermon and we distill it, right? So we kind of bring it down to, a, or, and, you know, make it more understandable for, for kids, right? Yeah. And, and so uh, as we were worshiping there, uh, Zane brought this to mind. I was thinking to myself, my shirt here is the Florida, uh, the Florida State Canine Academy. Right? So one of the things I do, and if you guys have heard me preach, I, I talk about my dog because God gives me all my theology through my dog. <laughs> and as I was sitting here praying and worshiping, I was looking at that sign, and I was like, you know what we do? We help each other see life through dog's perspective. How, how does that work here? If you don't see, if you don't understand the world through the, the perspective of the dog, then you can't communicate to the dog. And if we don't see the world through God's perspective, we can't communicate with him and understand his will for us. So, mind blown. Yeah. <laughs> hey, did you know dog, do you know dog spelled backwards God? All right. Just, that's what I was thinking about while I was thinking. That's all. <laughs> All right, I think we're in that right there. Hey, man, uh, th th this balloon, this kind of represents our life here. And, you know, how many of you have good things, just awesome scenarios come into your life that just fill you with joy? Anybody have that? All right, so here it is. This is joy. You had your buddies come down, right? That brought you joy, right, Rory? Man, good things happen out on the job, brings you joy. Get to go snorkeling my grandkid, brings me joy. All kinds of things bring us joy, right? You know, when I see you come in, it brings me joy, man. Fernanda gets to come out of her comfort zone and sleep in a trailer. That brought, that brought me joy. <laughs> and Terry, I know, was like, yes, all right. And, and I got to watch, I, I'll never forget, I was watching Terry and his, and his kids and everybody running around the campground. Everybody's in bathing suits. Everybody's hair is messed up. And I was like, yes, now they're enjoying life. No, not that they don't when your hair is all pretty and all that, but it was just awesome seeing that. But how many of y'all know that as fast as the world can put joy in you, it can just let it all go? Anybody ever have their life just go? Everybody say that on the count of three. One, two, three. Yeah, isn't that exactly what it feels like sometimes? It's like you get on such a high, man. And you get joy, and, and, and then how many of y'all instead of, this is what you sound like. How many of y'all live with somebody that sounds like that? And you're like, yeah, you just want to pop their balloon and get it over with, right? Because they just lit it out slowly, one little squeak at a time until you're just like, I can't handle it anymore, right? But the fact is, the world puts joy in us, and then it sucks it right out of us sometimes. How many of y'all would agree with that? You know, 
And, and again, I'm not saying don't enjoy this life. There's so much to enjoy in this life. And I think when God brings us good things, we enjoy it. It's awesome. But we also have to understand that everything as a believer is brought in our life for his glory and our good. It's to make us more like him. And, and we identify with him through his suffering. And if you look at the Apostle Paul's life, there's suffering. And so, again, we have to glory as much in that suffering as in the, the good things that come. <clears throat> and carnally speaking, that's a hard thing to do. When we first started this church, uh, we started out under some umbrellas. And, in fact, I think we've now uh, changed our offering buckets. But for a long time, we had the original rusty bucket. And the way it happens, I had a, a bucket with a hole in it, and I had another one without a hole in it. And the original series that we did was out of the book of Philippians, and it was entitled uh, Joy Leaks. <laughs> that, that was what it was entitled. The very, we preached through the, the book of Philippians, and the idea was we would get water and we'd pour it in our bucket, but as fast as it would fill up in the bucket, it's leaking out the bottom if our joy isn't found truly in our relationship with Christ. Something nobody can take away. Now, is it wrong to enjoy snorkeling? Is it wrong to enjoy surfing? Is it wrong to enjoy the fellowship of, to all these things that, that, that are easy to have joy in? There's nothing wrong with that, man. I had the time of my life that from Wednesday to, to yesterday. It was awesome. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we have to be able to not let joy leak out. And if our joy only comes from our circumstances, from our situations, how many of y'all know you're going to be disappointed? How many of y'all know that the majority of your life is going to be miserable? If, if, if you can't find joy in the tough things, you can't find joy in, in, in the things that you don't want to go through, you can't find joy. Now, you notice what I said? You can't find. That means that it takes you a while. When the situation happens immediately, Somebody steps on your toe with boots and you don't have and you have flip flops on. The joy isn't immediately there, right? <laughs> you have to find the joy and it's a process, but you've got to always have a mindset to find the joy. And that's why we harp on the idea of helping each other see life from God's perspective, because when we see it from God's perspective, then we're grateful. And when you're grateful, everything is what? Great. Everything's great. Everything. We can't just pick and choose what we want to be great, what we find joy in and what we don't. God, our joy comes from our relationship with Christ. In fact, that's the very next thing. Don't let your joy leak. Find your joy in your relationship with Christ. If you have a relationship with Christ, how long does that last for? Can anybody take it from you, Roger? No. No. You know for sure that in this short little period of time that you have left, and I'm not saying that because you're old. I'm saying that for all of us. None of us know when our next Yeah, none of us know when our next breath is. None of us know when God's done and he takes us home. Man, go check the obituaries and check the ages in case you think that there's one particular age. Enjoy what you've got and what God's doing in your life, but we know from the time we're born again to the time he brings us home that we're ambassadors for him and we're supposed to see life from God's perspective. We're supposed to allow that to bring God glory because that's what he purchased us for. That's what he paid for us with his own blood for. He paid for us with the highest price he could ever pay so that we could have a home in heaven and we can represent him here on this planet. We can show the rest of the world what it's like to be a kingdom child. That doesn't happen immediately. So that's why I say you've got to find 
your joy in your relationship with Christ. I know there's a lot of yours in there, but find your joy. How many times are we trying to find joy in somebody else? How many times when that person's not there anymore, that situation out there, we don't have joy? Because we found that a lot of our joy was found in that. That doesn't mean we're sad. We're not sad when we lose somebody or somebody moves away. Man, I cry like, babe, when you guys come here, you guys are so seasonal, so many people. Man, the when you guys, you guys are here today. And how long are you going to be here for? Yeah, dude. So I might see you next Sunday, right? And, and I'm going to cry like a baby when you leave again. Because I only get to see you on, on texting. And I'm grateful you're here. So people come, people go, people come, people go. Man, I, I can't find my joy only in when you come. Otherwise, I don't be happy like three or four weeks of the year. Right? <laughs> my joy's got to be in Christ. And knowing, that's where Paul said in the book of Philippians, man, our joy is found in knowing that we have an unchangeable relationship with Christ where he loves us perfectly. For me to live is Christ, to die is better. Because when I get to heaven, nothing's going to get in the way of me in Christ, especially my flesh, which gets in the way now a lot. And so, again, if you want to stop your joy from leaking, enjoy life here. Enjoy what's going on. Enjoy the fact that God is allowing things in your life to make you more like him. And enjoy the fact that he left you here to use you as an ambassador. It's not all about just how you feel here. He's much more concerned about your character than your comfort always. But he's much more concerned about those who need to see what a kingdom child looks like. And if anybody can have that kingdom mentality when everything's going well. But when some tough things happen, we got to find our joy. And we find it in our relationship with Christ. We remember why he's got us here and what the purpose is in that. So... Most of you guys know we, we went on vacation this past week. Now, for those of you, how many of y'all have been here a few years and you know what going on vacation with the Fredericks is? Some, you really didn't know until now. You know firsthand, right? You'd heard stories, but you're thinking, oh, those are anomalies. You know, there was even one vacation where we went on uh, where Zane and Christy came over the, the night before and changed springs and, and, and bearings because they were not going to let anything happen to any of our stuff. Uh, on that vacation and what the very things you changed on on everything what happened we're driving in Miami bricks fall off we run over a brick and boom the very thing you you know thank you by the way I appreciate that but stuff happens on our vacations there's good stuff there's bad stuff but I always have something to preach on when I come back from vacation that's just part of the reason God sends us on vacation because maybe you're tired of the stories here but um Fernanda even asked me in the pool, I think it was on Thursday. She's like, oh, Thursday was the greatest day in the world, man. Joy was full. And she's like, oh, so what applications do you have so far? And I'm knowing the scripture I'm preaching on, and I'm like, not yet. <laughs> and I'm like, because I was so enjoying what was going on there. But I have, on the next day, I had to find some joy. And I had people helping me find that joy. And so here's what happened, dude. Man, I'm just going to give you a little rundown on our vacation. We go from like Wednesday and we come back on a Saturday. We go to the Keys. We leave Wednesday. And, and we've been going to the same campground for almost 20 years now. Ashley was a little grom and now Keone's a little grom. And we go there and we just, make, we just make our own fun. Get there Wednesday afternoon. Dude, we went out on our boat after, you know, trying to find them because we didn't really know where they were at and everything. Trying to find them. We got 
beat up on the boat. Man, I know Linda loved that. It was awesome. And, uh, and we were sprayed. But you know what she liked? We were with the kids, so nothing else mattered. It was awesome. When we got into the Keys, actually, that day, we're driving in. Uh, just How many of y'all have been to the Keys? You know the blue wall, the blue wall, and then you turn, and, and all of a sudden you're in Key Largo. I just never forget one of the most awesome sounds I'm hearing in my head right now was when my wife, who says very little, she said, oh, it's so good to be here. And it was just like, yes. <laughs> and there was just peace and all of that. We get moved in, and dude, we, we've been tent camping for 20 years, dude, and we got this trailer. And it's not just a trailer, dude, it's a double wide. That may not sound good to y'all, but it would have sounded better. They had a single wide across the way from us. It was beautiful. It was like the Todd Rod. You would you ever have dreamed you'd have said that about a, to, of a double wide? It's there, dude. It was like, oh, they had RV envy from that, trailer envy on that. It was perfect, everything, man. We got into, got into town, got unloaded, man, we're going, went out on our boat, came back. One of our favorite places to go is Hobo's. Dude, we've been going to Hobo's for years. And we, man, went to Hobo's, had a great dinner, came home that night, we were tired, went, had a great night's sleep. Next morning, got up, took showers, man, got, I clipped a beautiful sunrise that morning. Anybody see my sunrise picture that I posted? Yeah, my dad made that. I walk out of the showers, man, because you got to walk to the bathroom in showers. Nobody wants you to do that stuff in the trailer. Do you know that? But anyways, walk out there, and there was a was, beautiful picture. Bam! We load up the boat. Man, we get out to, out to Grecian rocks, hook up on a mooring buoy, get off the back. We're snorkeling. The whole family's all snorkeling. And what an awesome thing. And little Keone gets out there snorkeling, and JJ's got him, and I, I'm just kind of keeping an eye on both of them. And, and, and then he hooks me up with Keone, and I get to snorkel all over the reef with Keone, and I'm watching Keone. It's like I'm just watching him so stoked, and I, I, it, it couldn't have been more perfect for him to see all that stuff. We got back. Our hearts were full, man. We're back on the boat. Go get home. Linda makes the most awesome sandwich. I'm not going to give you every detail, but it was awesome. Every bit of it was awesome. Man, in the pool. That was when Fernando asked about that story. We go then out to eat at one of our other favorite places, the Shrimp Shack down in Isla Mirada. And the food was on point. How many of you know food's important to me? Dude, that's one of the things. My wife works baseball tournaments so we can afford to eat and go out to eat all, you know, and not feel guilty about it and order whatever we want on the menu. She works for that purpose on our little vacation. Dude, Shrimp Shack, I'm pounding down some, some shrimp and grits, man. It was the best shrimp and grits you ever had in your life, man. And everything is awesome. It's been a great day. I'm looking at the weather report. The next day is going to be calm and glassy. And it's like, yes, this is going to be perfect. Oh, God, thank you. And now we do. Thank you for the perfect days. And, and, and we're like, yeah, this is awesome. So get up the next morning. I kind of missed the sunrise. That wasn't a big deal. Got everything loaded, business as usual, ready to go out. This time, we're going to go to the Christ statue again, and we're going to go to Grecian. It's going to be calmer, and we're actually going to go dive, you know, do some dip. We had plans. It was going to be calm. So we start heading out, out of the Little Mangrove Channel, and all of a sudden, man, I had to pull it down from going full speed to going nothing, and my motor stalled out. Motor's dead. I go to, like, I put it in... I, I go to put it in, you know, neutral and turn it, and it's going for the first time ever with me with this motor. You've been on my boat before, right? And, and, and I'm turning the key, it's going, ur, ur, ur. it's turning over, but nothing's happening. 
And I'm like, oh my goodness. And I'm like, Carrie! Because they were up in another boat up ahead of us. And, and it was only because this dude who was with them forgot his kid's lunch or something, they turned around. Otherwise, I thought they heard us when he turned around. They didn't know anything. They come back. And they're like, what's up? I said, dude, my, my, my motor's done. It's not working. It's dead. I can't make this motor work. It's dead. And so he's hooking up, you know, tow lines on the motor, you know, we, you know, on the bow. We hook up some tow lines. And about time we get the tow lines hooked up, the giant, I mean giant, bigger than this building boat from uh, John Penny Camp uh, snorkel boat. You ever seen that boat? It's as wide as the whole channel. It's bearing down. And I'm right in the middle with my whole family. Terry's right there too. He would have, he's just right there. He's got me hooked. And, and I'm just like going, hey. And they're like, move. And I'm like, I can't. You know? Somebody's got to work on some better hand signals for boats. But they're like, get out of the way. And I'm like, I can't. And they evidently understood. And probably from me to the back of the church right there, they stopped. And we're like, and now all the tourists are all looking at us. They're all at the front going, what up? What's going on? And, and so Terry now is trying to get us turned over. His buddy who was visiting with his two sons and his wife's wife's back working, but two kids are on the boat. Man, he gets going and he's trying to attach a line onto the, this all was happening all at, 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 in, a, in a fast pace, right? I mean, boom, blur. And so his buddy, Eric, Man, it's attaching a line, and his hand was in the way. And so when he went to pull, we get pulled into the mangroves, and his buddy's like this, going, ah! Oh! And we look over, and his buddy reaches over and pulls something out of the rope. It was his thumb! Yeah, I got pictures. Well, I don't know. It's my story to tell, but I'm just saying, dude. His thumb! It got caught in the rope, and pop! It, it was in the rope. I saw something pop. I think it was a branch, but his thumb pulled it out. And, and it, you ever lose a thumb? Anybody here? No, I'm just saying, dude. It's bleeding. And we're like, got a boat bearing down. It's bleeding. We're in the mangroves trying to get all of this. All of a sudden, man, all the joy we had is now like getting sucked out. <laughs> Would you say? Uh, I mean, we're an emergency thing, but this is not what we planned. Okay? And we could say, oh, it's your fault, Pastor Eddie. Your boat like broke down. Or, you know, it's like, and he didn't say that. No, but we didn't. Blame was not important. You could, you could all of a sudden start blaming whatever, and we'll talk about that more in the message, but bottom line is, man, we had something that needed to be done. Dude's finger popped off now. That took priority over my broken boat, <laughs> obviously. And I remember he picked up his finger, or he got his finger, and he stuck it in his pocket. <laughs> Good thinking, because you might want to get that sewn back on, all right? Maybe. And, and so Fernanda... I, Fernanda's like, oh, do you need a baggie full of ice? <laughs> she's, she stayed calm. I, I've still not heard her get really upset and yell. She could have. I mean, but she's like, oh, do you need a baggie of ice? And I mean, that's a good idea. Emily's right in the front of my book going, <laughs> she, she's seeing stars in front of her getting ready to pass out because she's never seen a thumb come off before. And so anyways, so... Anybody want to go on vacation with me next year? <laughs> All right, so they're going again. Dude, this turns out good. Well, they said they were at least. <laughs> were you guys lying? No, right, but anyways, so they get the thumb in the back, and, and so we start getting towed, and as we're, he's trying to tow me nice and slow through the mangrove whiny channels. Meanwhile, we got a guy who needs to get to the hospital to get his thumb sewn back on, 
And so we're getting ripped through the mangroves, and finally we decide, hey, hey, no, no, you know, it, it, I'm going to leave, leave them here, you know. And, and I kind of suggested that, but Terry is such a good guy. He's like, no, I can do it all. I can get this thumb sewn on and get you back. And so, so we get there. I call Cito, but Terry, sure enough, was back. Fernanda takes the dude to the hospital. They're there. You know, Terry comes back, toes me, and I'm just like, dude, I'm starting to now see the reality, and my boat is dead. It's like the motor's dead. And literally, if what happened, it may need a new motor. I don't know. It's not just like, and how many of y'all know the ministry, the good that's gone on in this boat? And I'm just like, God. You know, I know the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. I know what's going on in this boat. I don't think he's done with the boat, but it's like there's a lot of boats and trailers for sale because the motors are gone. It's like that's a huge thing. And it's like I don't know, you know, what's going on. And we get towed in and Terry so easily tows us and we hook up to the dock and I'm just going, everything's going to my mind. And you know what? My joy has been sucked out. I got to tell you, because I, you know what, when I first got the boat and decided this was what God wanted us to do, I remember Captain Max said, if you're going to have this boat, you're going to have to love this boat. You're going to have to love cleaning it, every little stain, every little piece. You're going to have to love taking care of this boat. And over the last few years, I have fallen in love with this boat. Any of you that have ever been on it, you know I love this boat so much that if you're going to mess it up, I'm, I'm going to tell you, right? <laughs> I love this boat, and I love what it stands for. I love what it does. I've grown. I don't even know how to do ministry without a boat right now. <laughs> not that I can't, and not that God might not change things, or not that God might take care of the boat. I don't know. I don't know the answer to any of this right now, but all of this is going through my head since the dude's at the hospital and his finger's getting taken care of. There's nothing I can do about it. My whole heart my whole soul turns to this boat, and I'm just like, God, and I just saw, he was showing me this balloon, and, and it was just sucked out. <laughs> it was like, I got nothing left in me. We get all settled, my wife makes me a great sandwich like the day before, but it wasn't nearly as good. <laughs> it was the same sandwich. I jump in the same pool with the same people, and I'm in there, and it just wasn't nearly as good. It was just like, joy was just sucked out, and I was like, mm, I don't know what to do with this. It just hurts. I, I'll, I'll figure it out. It's like any other hurt, it heals, right, Roger? It takes time. And I'm not comparing mine to yours, but at that point, that's what I got. And I'm just like, wow, I can't even imagine. And I don't know what's going to happen, but God, I know you do. You know, you're the one who did this. And so I decided at that point, I said, I just really need to kind of go be alone. And I really need to go study this passage of Scripture. Because I know that's what God does with our vacation adventures. <laughs> he, he makes them so applicable. That's why the day before, Fernet says, oh, so what application do you have? I'm like, nothing yet. Now, the very 24 hours later, buddy, I got all the application in the world. But, it does, but if my joy is found in that boat and everything there, then it can suck all the joy out. And, and it can just keep it all sucked out. And so I began studying that passage of scripture, what I've been studying for weeks. And I started looking further and looking further and looking into it and say, God, I know that you've allowed all of this to happen for, for me to understand this passage of scripture. And I'm not trying to make it fit. I just knew that's what it was. 
And so what I'm sharing with you this morning is what God gave me through all of this. And so first step, first thing I want to share with you from Acts 21, 15 through 17. Now, you remember Paul and his buddies were up in Caesarea, and now they're coming down to Jerusalem. And, and what does everybody want to do with Paul when they get to Jerusalem? They want to kill him. They want to kill him. They want to mess up. So anybody going with Paul, what are they going to want to do to them, Roger? Kill him. All right. Anybody whose house Paul stays at, what are they going to want to do to him? Yeah. So how many of y'all want to go on vacation with Paul? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? How many of y'all want to? How many of y'all want to want to want to want to go hang out with Paul? You want to take that trip from Caesarea down to Jerusalem with Paul? Not if you're into your circumstances. Not if you're into your situation bringing you joy, you know, or through the circumstances. Not if you're looking for a vacation. <laughs> not if you're looking for a, a party. No. You got to understand you're traveling with Paul. They're going to try to sabotage Paul all the way down. When Paul gets there, they're going to try to kill him. You're going to be in as much danger as Paul. But the point is, is that you need godly friends. How many of y'all know you need godly friends? In this world, we're alone. If you could go and talk to the people of this world more than anything else, and even included in our churches, people are alone. They don't have people that they can share with. They don't have people that they can empathize with because of what did you call it? What kind of schedules do we make ourselves? Cluttered, crazy. We don't have close friends. We don't have people that... We can talk to. We don't have people that will help us see life from God's perspective. We've got to have that. You need godly friends. I cannot tell you during that time, from the time this situation happened until the time that I went to my double wide, which, by the way, wasn't as good that day as it was the day before. Isn't it amazing how your perspective changes everything? Not that I was upset about it. It just wasn't as pleasurable from that time. I had a buddy over here, Terry and Fernanda, that kept telling me, you know, I, I can't, both of them said it numerous times, whether they realize it or not, there's some reason we weren't supposed to be out on those reefs snorkeling today. There was some reason that, that Terry wasn't supposed to take his youngest daughter out and, with scuba tanks diving the Christ statue that day. There was some reason, maybe Keone wasn't supposed to, there's some reason we weren't supposed to be there. And if this is what God had to allow happen, then praise God. Thank you. But it sure don't feel that way all the time, does it? But if it wasn't for some godly friends that kept, and my family, if it wasn't for those folks helping me see life from God's perspective, dude, I'd have never got joy back. I would have never found joy in the suffering. I'd have never found, I'd never found what God wanted me to find in all of this. You need godly friends that are seeing life from God's perspective so they can help you. I do understand if you never want to go on vacation with us ever again, but I'm glad God brought you that trip because I needed you in that. God put you there for me if he didn't put you there for any other reason in all of that. Look what happens with the Apostle Paul. Again, he's going from Caesarea down to Jerusalem. And Apostle, uh, not Apostle, but Luke is actually the one writing the book of Acts. And Luke is, 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 re, is writing this, and he's going with it because he says, after this we... That's at least Paul and Luke. But he says, we packed our things and we left for Jerusalem, knowing what Jerusalem was going to have in store. Some believers from Caesarea accompanied us. So some of the brothers and sisters in Caesarea, the Paul actually um, uh, persecuted, that were now a church, were, loved him so much, they were willing to risk their life going and doing whatever it took to make it all work. 
They, they came from Caesarea. They accompanied us. They took us to the home of Nason. Dude, can you imagine somebody who's got a price on their head letting them come into your own home? We don't know if Nason had little kids. We don't know what the deal is. But he welcomed them in because he was a brother, sister in Christ, and God had brought them. Took us to the home of Nason, a man originally from Cyprus and one of the early believers. And what we, meet, what we believe that means is that he was probably one of the guys that got saved at Pentecost. Probably one of the guys that saved at Pentecost, and he's been a believer all through Paul's persecution, and now he hears all these things that's going on. So the important thing I want you to see here is we've seen this over and over and over with the Apostle Paul. You can't do life alone. You can't do it alone. If you are alone, you need to get in with a you need to find some people in the body of Christ, people who are going to help you see life from God's perspective. You've got to have that. Whatever it takes. Otherwise, you can be defeated pretty easily. You can have your joy sucked out pretty quickly. So you've got to have some godly believers. Let's look at what it says. When we arrived, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Now, did anybody in Jerusalem know they wanted to kill the Apostle Paul? Absolutely. What does it say? The brothers and sisters who were in Jerusalem, knowing that they wanted to kill the Apostle Paul, how did they respond when Paul showed up? Welcomed him warmly. Not like, oh, dude, we have an obligation to do the godly thing and, you know. We have an obligation to take you in, but boy, hey, don't stay very long, <laughs> you know. And, and honestly, again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not bragging on them. I'm just saying that in this situation, Terry had a friend and, and his wife and the two kids situation going on. It was almost like when that situation happened, obviously with the thumb, with that, um, everything else was dropped. It, it became the priority as it should. But it, it was really the love of Christ that took them. Fernanda took them. The kids got taken in. And my family watched all the kids while Terry went to the hospital. Then I got to go to the hospital and go, get, got to go pray. But basically, the, the, the bottom line is that because of the love of Christ, it wasn't even thought of that Oh, it's your fault for this, or your fault for this, or this for this. It was the love of Christ. I, I got to, I watched these guys go in action. Again, I'm not praising them. I'm saying it could have happened to a bunch of you guys. But I'm just saying that what I saw were godly brothers and sisters that showed me how to behave in this situation. I needed that. All of a sudden, this dude's thumb became priority. His family became everything. And honestly, for the rest of your trip, was it your trip anymore? No, you took our kids all the way until leaving, taking them to Miami to be with their dad and mom in all of that. I know I could be around ungodly people, and they would do whatever they could to get rid of the people and feel like they did their responsibility and be able to go back to their vacation and enjoy it. But for godly believers, we don't enjoy that when we know what God wants us to do. And we have realized that God has put us in a position to do. He's, he's orchestrated this. And we've got to see it from his perspective and do what he wants us to do in it. So look, man, they welcomed him warmly. Next thing, when you do get together with a bunch of believers, how many of you ever got together with a bunch of believers and it, 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 your conversation went south real quick? How long does it take for a conversation to go bad and all of a sudden a bunch of believers become carnal? Oh, yeah, well, that really stinks. We were planning on doing this, or we wanted to do this, or this was going on. or you know, how many, Have you ever had that happen with believers? But if you're, if you're seeing life from God's perspective, you're doing this. And i got to say again, I'm, I'm, um, 
I am so grateful that you guys kept focusing on what God was doing. If I, every time I started to think about something else, I started hearing God obviously. Terry one time was like, God obviously didn't want us out there. <laughs> I don't know if you meant to say it that way, but it was like, God obviously didn't want. I'm like, okay, cool. I didn't want to ruin your trip, man. <laughs> you know, and, and Eric's thumb and, you know, and everything else. And, but the fact is, is when believers get together, sometimes it's just as easy for us to get in a little pity party, isn't it? Sometimes it's just as easy for us to all look at it from a carnal perspective instead of a godly perspective. And that's why we need, when we do get together, we need to focus on what God is doing. Not what the circumstances are to rehash them. Not to, not, not to all justify how we all acted or justify what's going on. What we need to do is see it from God's perspective. And if one person's not seeing it that way, someone else needs to see it that way. You are salt and light. Let me ask you a question. What does light do in a dark room? Yeah, it, it, it opens it up where you can see now. What does salt do? Keone loves to grab the salt shaker at restaurants. And if you're sitting next to him and he takes a salt shaker and dumps it all on your food, what's that going to do? <laughs> Is it going to change the flavor? Yeah. Absolutely. That's what salt does. And as a believer, as salt and light, you change the flavor of the circumstance you're in. And honestly, as a believer, you may not be in that spirit or that mode to do it, but when another believer does it, it brings you back. It ch they change the flavor of the whole room. So if God's ever leading you to change the flavor, change the flavor. So when believers do get together in the midst of tough things, things we don't really want to experience, things we're having a hard time understanding, ha has the pain ever been so great that you can't focus even on what God wants? The frustration, the confusion, the life circumstances are swirling around you. Somebody pushed the puree button on your blender. You know what I'm saying? You need somebody else to come in and say, look, man, look what God's doing. Look what God's doing. And we need reminding of that a lot. I need people to remind me a lot. So that's what Paul, when they got together as believers, somebody was always saying, focusing on what God was doing. How many of y'all know that you're not, Gary, do you know you're not smart enough to think of two things at once? Amen. You're a smart guy. Tom, you're a real smart guy. Hey, can you think of two things at once? No, you can switch back and forth. How many of y'all are trying? Roy's trying right now. I know Roy. He's like, <laughs> I saw your head. Yeah. You're trying, but you can't think of two yeah. things at once. Your brain doesn't work that way. So if you're thinking about the right thing, what can't you be thinking about? The wrong thing. So what we've got to do is we've got to help each other think about what God's trying to do in the situation. And so look at this next set of verses here. The next day, Paul went with us to meet with James. Now, this is not the brother of John. He already had been, um, he was the first uh, apostle that was actually martyred. This is actually the, brother, the half brother of Jesus, the one who wrote the book of James, who was the, the main pastor in Jerusalem at the church that was run by a bunch of elders because the apostles were always out going and traveling and sharing the gospel. So he said the next day Paul went with us to meet James and, and the elders of the Jerusalem church. They were present too. After greeting them, Paul gave a detailed account of the things God had accomplished among the Gentiles through his ministry. How long y'all think that took? You remember the one time he was preaching a few weeks ago and, and he preached till midnight? And then the boy fell out of the window. He raised him from the dead, or Jesus did through him. And, and then he went back to preaching again till morning. <laughs> you know, here he's given them a detailed account. 
of things that had happened on three missionary journeys. Everything. And this happened, and this happened, and this. Was there any time to think about the bad stuff? No, dude. They're praising God for all the people that had given their life to Christ and looking and, and receiving encouragement for how God changed people. Dude, you remember that guy? There's no way that guy was going to get saved. He was the town, blah, blah, blah. And God saved him the same way he saved this person and this person. How many of y'all think you know somebody? Don't raise your hand, please. You know somebody that God can't save? It wouldn't be worth I know theologically we're like, oh, God can save anybody. But how many of y'all know somebody you're like, dude, that would be a miracle? <laughs> you know what? You were a miracle when he saved you. <laughs> you were just as hard to get. You were just as hard as the toughest person you could ever imagine. Because we can't save ourselves. It's God's grace. Nobody is beyond God's grace in being saved. And that's what they were glorying and finding joy in in all of this. So after hearing this, they, what did they do? Yeah, they weren't having a pity party. They were having a praise session, right? And that's what happens when we think about the things God is doing. Even the things we don't like. And we see it from God's perspective. And we, we, we don't know what the solution is going to be. But we know God's work and we know God's in charge and we know God's there. They praised God, and then they said, you know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews also believed? So not only was there revival going on in all of that, but there was also now revival going on in the Jewish community since Pentecost. Thousands of people had come to Christ. Christianity was growing because people were being obedient, and they were sharing the gospel, and the gospel itself has power. Not us, but the gospel has power. So you need godly friends. And when godly friends get together, man, you got to look at what God's doing. And that's what I saw happen on Friday. Is I constantly had people in my life reminded me of what God was doing. And what he had done. I, I, I just watched what God was doing. And by the way, um, Eric got out of, out of surgery at 11 o'clock Friday night, right? And, and for this, you know, they... As Terry wrote in a text, uh, his thumb may be a little shorter. <laughs> but, I mean, I, unless they made an extension, he's got a longer one because it helps his golf swing. I don't know. But bottom line, they, they, they did set his thumb back on. That's pretty awesome. Thanks to Fernanda's bag of ice. No, they say everything that went on. So, man, it's like there's people getting saved. Let's focus on what God is doing in all of this. But how many of you all know, as much as you focus on what's God's doing in life, there's still going to be problems. Yeah. I'm going to go through this real super quick, these first five, these next five verses. And I'll give you a little bit of the context, but the point of it all is there's going to be problems. As soon as Paul, they're all having a praise party, people are getting saved in Jerusalem. People are getting saved in Macedonia. First missionary journey. Second missionary journey. Third missionary journey, and then some people show up, and guess what happened? Guess what happens? Anybody ever have somebody just go on what you were just joy, having joy in? Everything was great until that happened. All of a sudden, somebody went all over it. That's kind of what happens here. Verse 20 again, look at this. After hearing this, they praised God. They said, you know, dear brothers, how many thousands of Jews have also believed and that's good. That's the part we already read. But look at the next part. But, Paul, they all follow the law of Moses very seriously. 
How many of y'all ever had good news and then they say, but, or and, here it is. They follow the law of Moses very seriously. We have a problem here. But the Jewish believers here in Jerusalem have been told, and it was a lie. Uh, it was started by rumors, which usually don't have anything to back them up. They're usually not true. They've usually got a little bit of truth, and it was exactly here. The, the believers here in Jerusalem have been told by the Judaizers, which was Paul's number one enemy, the people who were trying to fight for Jewish nationality in that day and age, and, and anything in opposition. They're holding on to the, the last strands of, of, of Judaism. And by the way, in AD 70, when the temple got torn down, that's when the Christian faith became mostly Gentile. They were done. But at this point, man, in time, they're holding on to anything they can, Jewish, and anybody going against it, they're fighting, even if they got to make up lies. So the Jewish believers have been being told in Jerusalem, they've been told that you're teaching all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn their backs on the laws of Moses. Let me ask you a question. There's two kinds of laws. There's ceremonial law and there's moral law. Moral laws don't steal, don't murder, don't covet, don't commit adultery, all those moral laws. Has the moral law changed since Jesus? No. In fact, when we have the Holy Spirit now, he allows us to be able to fulfill the moral law. We can now, we, can, we don't have to sin. But the ceremonial law, um, how many, Jack, y'all going to eat some lobster, man? How, how many lobsters y'all get? A lot. Yeah, a lot, man. I saw your pictures, yeah. They got a system. They know where they're going. They know you got to hijack their numbers, Terry. You got a whole year to do it. All right. But yeah. But but so are you allowed to eat lobster as a Christian? Yeah. yeah. Are you allowed to eat shrimp? I hope so. Otherwise, I got to go to confession. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, dude. That's all I've eaten for the last three or four days. And, and but am I allowed to? Yeah. But do I have to? No. And and so the way the ceremonial law worked in this transition era through the Jerusalem Council that we studied before was, look, you guys are hardcore Jewish. God did do the law, but don't think by, by doing things in the law, you're going to be better than anybody else. Don't think that the law is going to save you. You're saved through Christ. In fact, we studied the book of Hebrews. Hebrews was a book written to the Hebrews to tell the Hebrews to stop being Hebrew. That's really what it was about. Because you got Christ now. You don't have to do all this symbolism anymore. Now, can you? Yes, you still can. You can still do Passover. You can still do these things, but don't think it's going to make you a better Christian, and don't think it's going to make you closer to, uh, more close to God than somebody who doesn't do it, and don't think it's going to save you. But yeah, you can do these rituals if you want. You don't have to. And he already said the Gentiles definitely don't have to. So they were telling him, Paul says, none of it's any good, don't do any of it. And in this transition period, people were kind of, Paul, the apostles were transitioning people out of it and on to fully Christ. Now, to be saved, they had to trust fully Christ. They couldn't trust any of these things. But in their practice, they could participate. So Paul's theory was this. You know what? When I'm with the, when I'm with the Gentiles, I'm eating pork chops. <laughs> when I'm with the Jews, I'm eating kosher. Because Paul said, I can be all things to all people. And, and it's not about me. It's about others. And if, it's gonna, if I'm doing this in my liberty, it's going to cause them to stumble. I don't want to do this. I'll do what they're doing as long as it's not infringing upon the gospel. So they were lying about Paul, and uh, he's saying they're telling them to turn their backs on the law of Moses. Well, definitely not the moral law. They've heard that you teach them not to circumcise their children or follow Jewish customs. Well, he said it doesn't matter. You're supposed to have your heart circumcised. And he did actually get Timothy circumcised so that he'd be able to preach to the Jews and be more effective and be allowed in the synagogues. So he did some of this, but he didn't do it always. Because to be a believer, you don't have to do these things, but you can. 
You get that? You don't have to do this. What do you have to do to be a believer, Zane? Believe. Believe. Give your life to Christ and believe what he did on the cross is sufficient to pay for your sins. That's all you have to do. But can you get circumcised? Can you celebrate Passover? You know, can you? Yeah, you can do all these different things as long as you don't believe. That's what gives you eternal life. But if it can bring you closer, take a vow. Uh, we're going to talk about the vow of the Nazarite here. That's an opportunity that could be an outline to get you closer to God. So here's what we see. He said, man, they're telling him not to do all these things. Well, he's saying don't do it all the time. And, and, and you don't have to do it. So what should we do, Paul? They're going to know that you're here and you come. And all these Jews who are saved want to kill you. And, and the, uh, because they say that you're, you're going against all of this. You know, they're making enemies. Uh, and so here's what we want you to do, Paul. And this was James in the church and the elders in that area. We have four men who have completed their vows. Now, the vow that they are completing is the vow of the Nazarite. You guys remember that from, I think, Numbers uh, 6, 26, somewhere in there, from the book of Numbers. The vow of the Nazarite. Listen, they weren't allowed to shave their, uh, cut their hair or shave their head, okay? So that was, they were sacrificing their appearance for God. They weren't allowed to eat any fruit of the vine, any drink any good juice, anything like that. So they were sacrificing their appetite for God. When they took this vow voluntarily, they said, we're going to sacrifice our appearance. We're going to sacrifice our appetite. And they weren't allowed to touch any dead bodies. And that says, well, I'm good with that. <laughs> but what if it's your own kid? What if it's your own husband or wife and you're just like, oh, they weren't allowed to do it. They were sacrificing their affection for God. So they're sacrificing their appearance, their appetite, and their affection for God. Now, is it wrong for us to do that? Could we take a vow of a Nazarite? If you want to, we don't have to shave our head at the end. We don't have to do all this. But would it not be awesome if for a period of time we voluntarily say, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to spend more time on my spiritual appearance than I am my physical appearance. I'm going to spend more time on my physical, my spiritual appetite than I am on my physical appetite. I'm going to spend more attention on my spiritual affection for God than I am on my affection for someone else. Would that be wrong? No. But are you a sinner if you don't do it? No. So these guys were doing this, and so a lot of the Jews who were born again were still doing it, but now they saw Christ fulfilled in it, and they were doing it for a good reason. But he said, don't you dare tell other people they have to do it. And so these guys are completing their vows. So, Paul, here's an idea for you. Go with them to the temple. Join with them in the purification ceremony, paying for them to have their ritual heads ritually shaved. So that means you're going to get your head shaved, too. All right, so Chrissy, you know, God says, all right, I just want you to go with those guys, pay for all the things they're going to sign, and shave your head with them. What do you say? Yeah, man, we're good. You're military. You do it anyway. Right? Oh, you and Chrissy. Yeah, no problem. You're like, dude, then I'll have to fix my hair. How many of y'all have a hard time shaving your head for, <laughs> to not offend another believer? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he said, go get your head shaved. Then everyone will know that all the rumors are false, that you yourself observe the Jewish laws. You don't have a problem with those Jewish laws. As long as it doesn't, they don't have to perform those things to be saved because we're saved through Christ. As for the Gentile believers, the Jerusalem Council already settled it. We uh, uh, Gentile believers, they should do what we already told them to do in the, the letter. They should abstain from eating food offered to idols, especially around people that are going to be offended by that. Younger, uh, you know, do you have the right? Do I have the right to eat food that was uh, sacrificed to idols? Can I do that, Zane? I can do that. I probably have, you know. Had a professor that was in Milwaukee that worked at uh, 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 Oscar Meyer, 
at the weenie tunnel, he told me, <laughs> you know? And he said they would bring wheelbarrows of all kinds of meat, and we didn't even know what that was. He said we'd shove it into the weenie tunnel, and it would come out as hot dogs. You tell me, does anybody know what's in a hot dog? No, so you probably have eaten meat sacrificed to idols. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, am I a sinner now? Oh, no, I can't. No, that's not. He's telling them, you know what, if it's going to offend a brother or sister and make them kind of, if they're not there, don't do it. Don't do it just because you can. Eat something else off the menu. <laughs> he said from consuming blood, okay, because that was uh, associated with ritual sacrifices. You want to drink blood? Can I drink blood if I want? Dude, I'm Polish. Anybody here Polish? Growing up Polish? Yeah, Gurkowski, you're, that's Jack. But yeah, Polish people, we had this stuff my granny made called duck blood soup. Anybody ever had it? Yeah, it doesn't sound very good, does it? It really wasn't. And I like food. <laughs> but am I, do I lose my salvation? No, he's like, it, he was talking about stuff for rituals that they were doing. And meat strangle, meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality, which obviously all of us are supposed to do. So the Gentiles had their rules, but the Jews were trying to tell people, you got to be Jewish and Christian to be saved. And they're like, no. So what does Paul do in this? What, if, what happens if God puts you in a position where you have a right to do something, but another brother or sister would maybe stumble or be offended if you did it? What do you do? I have you know, as an American, we focus a lot on our rights, don't we? Yeah. And we even get in fights as Christians about our rights sometimes, me especially. If you don't know, I have guns. I like shooting guns. Anybody else here like shooting guns? Yeah, thank you for those of you who aren't afraid of the 2A, all right? But <laughs> I think 2A protects 1A. But again, that's not what I'm here to preach. Some of you may never show up again. You're like, oh my goodness, <laughs> he kills animals. Well, I do. I kill hogs, wild hogs with spread diseases, and I like to barbecue and eat them, amen? No, I'm just saying, <laughs> that's as un-Jewish as you can get. But <laughs> I don't even know where I'm going with that anymore. <laughs> all right, so what do I do? What do you do? What do you do when you have the right to do all these things, but somebody else don't really, they, they're not there. They don't think you have the right. You know, is it more important? And this is a hard thing in America right now because we have rights that are being challenged. Yeah. Got to figure that out, you know, but we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. And, we're, and he's saying, you know, if, if you have the right to do something, but somebody really is going to be offended and you have the opportunity to do something else, do something else. Look what Paul says, without, or we'll see it in this, without pride. Hey, what is pride? Pride is when you want to do it your way, right? You know what? I don't care what you think. I have the right, and I'm going to do it this way, whether you like it or not. You know? I think what we have to find out is what does God want us to do in this situation? Not what I want to do, but what God wants, because pride is what I want. Not having pride is where we do what God wants. And who bought us? Christ. Gary, what did he pay for us? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did he pay anything more for you than he did for me? How about that brother or sister who doesn't think I have the right to do that? He paid the same amount for all of us. And so we find out what God wants us to do. Maybe he wants us to enlighten them on that right. Maybe he wants us to just shut up and be quiet and walk away or do, what, do the other thing. So with it, without pride. Without doing what we want, but what God wants, we need to solve the problem as peaceably as possible. And that's what the Apostle Paul even wrote. He said, be as at much peace with people as possible. So if he says, be as at much peace with all people as possible, does that mean that some people we're not going to be at peace with? Yeah. 
Some people, you're just going to be like two magnets, man. <laughs> you know, Vinegar, uh, water and oil, or water and oil, man. Sometimes it's just not going to work, and you just got to kind of part ways and find your other place, find your place in the kingdom. We don't have to agree on everything, but if we can't get along, there's another place for us in this. We just got to make sure it's not our pride, and that God's the one that's moving us, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. So without pride, you need to solve the problem as peaceably as possible. So here's one last verse. Look what Paul does. What do you think Paul does? They said, Paul, you need to pay all this money to, get, to pay for all their final offerings. You need to go shave your head and hang out with them for seven days. They're doing this Jewish ritual that you know you don't need to do. And, but for the sake of the kingdom, here's what we think you ought to do. So what do you think Paul does? Piercy, what do you think Paul does? Pays it. It costs him a lot of money. He pays it. And he shaves his head. Watch. Look at this. <coughs> so Paul went to the temple the next day with other men. They had already started the purification ritual. So he publicly announced the date when their vows would end and sacrifices would be offered for each of them. And so that was going to be in the next seven days. And Paul indeed shaved his head. Did Paul have to do that? No. And in, in your situation, most of the stuff that Christ wants you to do, you don't really have to do it. How many times does God ask you to do something that the world wouldn't require you to do? But you do it anyways because you live for Christ. That's what Paul said. To live is, for, is Christ. To die is gain. So Paul did it. Now, just a precursor to next week where we get into it. Does this peace offering work? Well, this mama, does it work? No. Because immediately, as soon as they come out, Bottom line, Paul gets arrested by the Judaizers. So it didn't work. He didn't have to get his head shaved. Or did he? If he did, why did he have to get his head shaved, Steve? Because God said to, right? Yeah. God, you have awesome hair, dude. That's probably your feature, right? Your hair? I think people recognize it. You know, the dude with like the white, the blonde. We don't even have a name for that color, bro, but it's awesome. And, and, and they're like, you know, God, you don't have to shave your head, but for the sake of the kingdom, would you? If God wanted you to. I can't even picture you without that hair. I wouldn't even recognize you without hair. That's you, man. <laughs> so you do it if God wants you to do it. Regardless of what you want to do and what you don't want to do. So here we go. To put it all together. To not let your joy leak. Because joy can leak so easily. Y'all know that? Joy can leak. You know? Find your joy in your relationship with Christ. That's the first thing. Second thing is you need godly friends, and when you're with godly friends, you need to focus on what God is doing. Not what the world's doing, not with what your flesh wants to do, and definitely not what the devil's doing. You need to focus on what God is doing, because you're not smart enough to think about two things at once. You focus on what God's doing, you will be grateful and everything's great. And in life, there's going to be problems. Even if you do all of that, there's going to be problems. So without pride, finding out what God wants you to do, you need to solve them as peaceably as possible. Figure out how God wants this problem solved. Figure out what God wants to have done in this situation. And you don't have to do anything until you have to do something. And in the infamous words of Forrest Gump, that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, as fast as this world can pour joy into us, um, and even as fast as you pour joy into us, 
Father, all it takes sometimes is one phone call, one email, one text, one encounter, one situation to change, and all of a sudden all this great spiritual joy we have um, gets sucked away. And that's just a, a, an indicator to us of where we're finding joy. We're grateful that we can be joyful and finding joy like Keone and clapping for the fish on the reef. I pray we'd be more like Keone in doing that and find joy in everything that you've created, everything that you let us, let us see. Father, um, but Father, when we have our joy sucked away, Father, um, help us find our joy in you. I pray that the pressures of this life would not get between us and you, where it would separate us, but I pray that it would push us even closer. It would put us on a journey, whether that journey is for a few minutes, a few hours, a few days, or even a few years, but a journey where we are getting closer and closer and closer to you, where we could say like David one day, it was good for me to be afflicted because now I've learned things. I've experienced things that I couldn't have experienced any other way. I've experienced your grace and your mercy in ways I, I couldn't have experienced if I didn't go through that situation. I've experienced your goodness in ways that I wouldn't have been able to experience unless I went through that situation. Father, um, I pray that you would put each of us on a journey. And um, no matter how much joy we find in our relationship with you, I pray that we would keep seeking. I pray you would put whatever it takes in our life, not just crazy things like boats breaking and thumbs getting popped off, but Father, whatever you want could be good things that we consider good, could be suffering, could be anything, but I pray that whatever happens, it will put us on a journey to find our joy in nothing but you. So many heroes of the faith, I think of Corey Ten Boom in concentration camps where they found joy in sleeping in rat-infested, nasty, disease-ridden, ice-cold, wet places of the concentration camp only to find out that later they were not raped and pillaged by the soldiers because the soldiers wanted nothing to do with them. But in those deplorable conditions, you were protecting them. Father, I just pray no matter what, you would help us see life from your perspective. Thank you for everything. And help us to be grateful because when we're grateful, everything's great. Again, Father, if there's someone here that's never given their life to you, Someone that lives from circumstance to circumstance. Someone that's, that's looking for satisfaction from what can be accomplished and done in this life here. And that's it. I pray, Father, you would show them that there's another life that's coming after this one that's going to last a whole lot longer. I pray you give them a desire and ability to surrender this life to you through Christ. So they can enjoy the next one that's going to be even longer pray you'd give them a desire they can't refuse to do that and help us all be godly friends and help each other see what you're doing to help each other walk through problems and have our perspectives changed thank you father for what you taught me this week and what you've done and i know you're not done yet but i'm grateful for all that you did do and i pray that you'd meet everyone here where they need you to meet them in the situation they're in. 
And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.